The universe is perfect. You cannot improve it. If you try to change it, you will ruin it. If you try to hold it, you will lose it. Welcome you in to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda Series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. Thanks for joining us here again as we uh, look into another episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, where we explore the episodes. We uh, map these things out really well, the best that we can. We're going to look into every single nook and cranny of this Andromeda universe. Um, yeah. Ethan. I just want to say real quick, just kind of off topic a little bit, uh, you are looking very tan. Oh, I thank you. I Yeah, you, I feel very tan. You just got back from vacation, did you not? I did, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we went to Florida. It was a great trip. Um, yeah, I always love going down there and spending some time on the beach, but I tell you what, man, it just feels like it gets longer and longer every time we go down there. Well, the, the vacation is longer? No, the trip down there and back. Oh, the drive? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I felt ridiculous this time. Sure. I've made that trip a few times, too. Uh, how long did it take you? I don't know, like 71, 72 hours, something like that. Hours? Driving? Yeah, about that. I think you're doing something wrong, because I've made this trip before, and it's only like a 12-hour drive from where See, we live. See, I, I, my wife was trying to tell me that same thing, but no, I mean, you know, we, we get in the car, we go. Uh, well, what route did you take? Um, we just, we just get in the car and go. Yeah, I know. I mean, you take the interstate most of the way, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's you know, two lane, four lane. Yeah. It's yeah, one of those. Well, okay. Or which both. routes did you take though? I, we just get in the car and go. I just, I just go. I, I follow the road and when I decide to turn, I, I make a turn and we, we get there. Okay. Eventually. Hold on. Hold on. You know, there's a better way to do that, right? What do you mean? Okay, they have these things called maps, and they map, like, all the roads. I have no idea what you're talking about. Dude, like, 70 years ago, Rand McNally started making these things. It, it Look, here. Here's a paper map. You, they're hard to fold, but huh. it, look, all the roads in the United States. Oh. Huh. Give me your phone. Okay. Huh. Look, see that right there? It says map. Click that. Oh my goodness! I tell you what, that's amazing. How have right you made in the it palm this of my far without knowing about maps? I don't know, man. I just I I go by gut. It just intuition. Yeah. You know, I I see a turn, I take it if it feels right. Hmm. I always end up where I need to go. Well, yeah. I mean, with only ninety nine point nine seven seven efficiency, though. So here we are. We are episode sixty two. You want you want to say it with me? Deep Midnight's Voice. Um, which this episode is not at all what I thought it was going to be about based on that title. But, you know what, we can talk about that off mic. Ethan, I believe it was your job this week, was it not, to gather up some trivia 
Okay. Yes, it, it is my job to do the trivia thing, and therefore I have put together trivia. Lay it on us, sir. Absolutely. And I think I'm going to do this in my bright morning voice. What do you say? Hey, Ryan, how's it going today? We're going to do bright. I am not a morning person. Like, even just pretending makes me mad. <laughs> my radio voice? My bright radio voice? You don't want to do? You don't want to do church? Okay. Nope, nope. All right. Trivia for Deep Midnight's voice. We have guest actors. Christopher Heyerdahl. He plays Gaten in this episode. His credits begin with 21 Jump Street in 1987. He goes on to play in Stargate SG-1, Smallville, Stargate Atlantis, Caprica, Falling Skies, Gotham, and Hell on Wheels. He also has film credits in Catwoman and The Chronicles of Riddick and the Twilight Saga, New Moon. Also, we have Stacey Grant. She plays Tori Lighton. She also gets her acting credit beginning with a role on 21 Jump Street. Later, she plays in The X-Files, Sliders, The Outer Limits, and Earth Final Conflict in genre roles. And she's also been in such films as Shanghai Noon and Passengers. We also have Cameron Park, and he plays Dr. Henry Seemel. He is a working actor with several in-genre roles, including ones in The 4400, Smallville, Eureka, Continuum, Supergirl, and Colony. And finally, we have Tim Henry. He plays Amory Sutton. And he is a working actor as well, with extensive credits dating all the way back to 1968. He, too, is a 21 Jump Street alum. He also has been on The X-Files, Millennium, Smallville, and he had a role in Robert Hewitt Wolf's 2010 movie, River World. And that's what I've got for trivia. Wow, it's a real uh, Smallville reunion here, huh? A little bit. Yeah. All right. Uh, enough chit-chat. Do you have a uh, summary for us this week? I do believe it's your turn. I do. Let us have it. Andromeda is on convoy duty when suddenly they find themselves in the midst of a pitched battle of opposing Nietzschean forces. On the one side, the resurgent Drago Kassov. On the other, pride unknown. Andromeda inserts itself into the fray and captures one of the Nietzschean fighters. Aboard, they find Gaten, an insufferably arrogant Nietzschean with a particular disdain for kluges like Dylan. Gaten and Tyr get along swimmingly. And after some aggressive questioning, Gaten reveals that the Dragokasov are searching for the mythical Deep Midnight's voice. Wait, I have to say that in, in character, don't I? Um, yeah. Deep Midnight's voice. By the way, how many of you playing the home game screamed when you heard Gaten say the episode title? Anyway, Deep Midnight's voice was a pre-fall effort by the Nietzscheans to map the entire network of Slipspace. Anyone that located that knowledge would own Slipspace. But many of the universe's greatest minds have been searching for that legend for centuries. There just isn't any way that our crew is going to be able to figure this mystery out anytime soon. Wait, what? What's that? No, Rami found it after just seven hours working on it. Andromeda jumps to a system that's caught in a slipstream knot that's isolated the system from the rest of the universe for millennia. They find Deep Midnight's voice signal on an Eden-like planet inhabited by primitive humans. Undercover, Dylan, Becca, Tyr, and Gaten search the planet for the crashed slipspace probe. They encounter some primitive humans, make some fairly primitive passes on said humans, and locate the probe. Before Dylan and Becca can return to the Maru, Gaten and Tyr have a heart-to-heart, after which Tyr shoots Gaten through the heart in order to protect his son and his plans for his newly found prize. In the meantime, a Nietzschean raider has entered the system to steal Deep Midnight's voice. The ship's presence threatens the innocence of the primitive humans. Dylan curbs that threat by having Andromeda fire matter pulsers into the local star, causing a flare, destroying the raider and knocking out the planet's primitive satellite tracking system. 
Dylan, Becca, and Tyr return to Andromeda, where Dylan learns that a copy of the map was made. Suspecting Nietzschean underhandedness, Dylan goes to Tyr's quarters for what will no doubt be an epic battle of wits. The end? So, one thing I noticed in this episode? Crew. (laughs) Crew. Yes. We have crew. Yes, we have crew again. Yep. And you know what? There are so many times in past episodes where it's so useful to have crew, and crew is nowhere to be found. Yeah. We have crew, and we don't need them for anything. And we don't. In fact, in fact, having crew there is a hindrance, because Dylan and Tyr have to go to an empty deck in order to talk. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a bit of a hindrance this time. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that, that they look around, and they're like, oh, there's people standing around. We're going to have to go somewhere else, so hold off. On making your point to your, mm-hmm. and and they go to another deck where it's empty and they look around and they start talking. Why didn't Dylan just say clear the deck? Yeah, <laughs> he's the captain. Yeah, that is a thing a captain can say. Isn't they can it? do that. Yeah. I would I would be looking for opportunities to clear the deck. Yeah, yeah. Boy, Rami sure is proud that she's smart. Yeah. Did you notice? Yeah, I'm sure you noticed that. Well, um, she kind of told me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Seven hours versus three hundred years of searching by mm-hmm. the universe's smartest minds. Yeah, I find th- I found that a little, a little difficult to believe. Did you? Yeah, I, I kind of did. Uh, it, well, it, it seemed a bit arrogant. Well, who are the smartest minds? We're talking like the Perseids, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, versus the Andromeda on the in at the University of Sinti. Yes. <laughs> right. We can laugh about that now. Sinti, you. <laughs> Sinti, you. Uh huh. I want to hear their fight song. <laughs> I don't know what that would be. Probably not very rousing. Uh-huh. But I, it, I bet it doesn't even rhyme. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, one good thing that I want to make a comment about Gaten real quick. Uh, it was good to see that he was using a sharpener on his uh, bone blades. Yeah, I, know, I did notice that. Because one thing that's just the worst is when a Nietzschean sharpens their claws on your sofa. <laughs> is that a cat reference? I don't know, is yeah, it? Yeah, I think you're, I think it is. I mean, they don't know what cats are, right? Uh, except when extinct. they show up, then yeah. they're like, oh, it's a cat. <laughs> yeah, it's this thing that's been extinct, but they know what it is the moment right. it shows up. Right, yeah. right. Well, I mean, you know, just because something is extinct doesn't mean that it never existed and we don't know anything of it. Like the Brontosaurus. Yeah, okay, if a Brontosaurus material, well, yeah, you would recognize it. Among other things, you would recognize it as mm-hmm. Brontosaurus. Yeah. But I'm thinking like if a dodo bird just showed up in your living room. Right. Would you know it's a dodo bird? Uh, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Okay, maybe that wasn't the best example. No, I'm just saying maybe. Because okay. I know what a dodo bird looks like, but if one just showed up, I would say, well, they're extinct, so it can't be a dodo bird. <laughs> Point. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe you just kind of went right past the whole brontosaurus thing. Uh, it, because it's not an actual, yeah. If there's they, they if didn't there's no such exist. thing as Brontosaurus. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Apatosaur. Right. Go go look it up if you don't know about this. Yeah. It's devastating. Yeah. Your childhood will be ruined. No such thing as a Brontosaurus. Anyway. Uh, honestly, I'm glad they didn't show us Harper's junk collection, and I'm using air quotes here, other things. Honestly, I feel like the, the other things that were referenced there... Might have been a copy of Deep Midnight's Voice, among other titles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Well, he's been creeping more and more. 
is it getting worse? It is getting worse. It is getting worse. I don't know if it's getting worse or if it's just more of the same and it's getting old. That may be it. Yeah. You may be onto something there. We might need to put a pin in that and revisit revisit it. Uh, but yeah, it does seem like the, the last two episodes have been... Honestly, I feel like at the end of this episode, Dylan needs to take him to a pleasure drift mm-hmm. for some R&R. Right. He needs some time off the ship. Yeah. Because he's, he's been apparently striking out with all the crew. Yeah. And he just needs to go somewhere and, and, and unwind for a little bit. Either a pleasure planet or maybe have him go through some sensitivity training. That might be the better of the two. Is there HR in the Commonwealth? Uh, it doesn't seem to be. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So one thing I think is interesting about our setting here in the future is that uh, for these more advanced worlds, like the humans and those that are among the Commonwealth, apparently there is no more paper or plastic, but they still are using IBM computer monitors. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to strike that one off my list here. Well, that's but all yes, right. yes, I did notice that as well. It's, I, it's nice to know that IBM is still making monitors. Yeah, three thousand years in the future. What are they making them out of? Silica composite. I, I don't know because apparently I, I we're not using plastic anymore. Which Although is it weird. looks like there's a lot of plastic. Everything looks like plastic. <laughs> I mean, yes. the ship looks like it's made of plastic. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Speaking of the ship, um, remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that there was one shot where. Gonzo. You didn't see it. Right, right. I felt that there was a shot that the Andromeda looked like the Muppets character Gonzo. Yeah. Um, it's ruined it for me. I can't, can't I cannot unsee now. it. Yeah. There was one scene in this episode I remember flashing back to that comment. Yeah. 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 It, it hasn't ruined me yet, but uh, I, I did see it. Uh, it does make perfect sense that Harper can forge IDs, though. Don't you think? Um, I'm going to say yes, and now I would like to hear your reason. What, that Harper can make forged IDs? Yeah. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, he's he's skeevy and underhanded. Sure. And he's a super genius. Right. So obviously he can make IDs that can pass muster mm-hmm. on any planet, past, present, or future. Mm-hmm. All right, Ethan. I got two words for you. Okay. Bag. Phone. <laughs> Uh, so this puts this culture that we visit in this episode about the year 1988. Yeah, I was going to say anywhere late 80s to early to mid 90s. Early 90s would work, mm-hmm. I, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that really brought back some some very warm childhood memories for me. It did. Mm-hmm. It did. It's it's amazing to me. It must be a human culture thing mm-hmm. that we go with seven digits. Yep, because that's what they're using. Right. And I don't know why he couldn't have just said, um, this is my phone number. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Push these seven buttons and you can reach me. Yeah. It, did he mention in any any particular order? No. All right. He just kind of pointed to them. Right. And and Becca's face. <laughs> what do I do with this? <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I guess, you know, the CDs survived, but cellular telephones did not. Not even in, like, museums? Apparently not. Yeah. You know what? I bet I know how to know which buttons it was that you push. How's that? Well, they're the dirty ones. <laughs> With the numbers worn off? Yeah. 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 Yeah, but what sequence, though? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Just punch it's, seven numbers. Yeah. You're going to get somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably all on a party line anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're, you're, you're probably not <laughs> wrong with that one, too. 
Uh, I have a question. All right. Why did they bring Gaten with them? Okay, hold on. Let me cross that off okay. of my list. Okay. Yeah, seriously. I had the exact same question. Just say, what are you here for? Cool. Um, here's the nearest uh, airlock. <laughs> what? Why? Why yeah. take him to the planet? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I had a... I don't know. Maybe maybe we need to wait for the later discussion about this. But I kind of... Ha- I the whole time I'm watching from the first time I watched it mm-hmm. and every subsequent time after that, the thought pops into my head immediately. Why are you bringing this guy with you? Um, yeah, I, I kind of had a problem with it. Yeah. Uh, you know what else I thought about Gaten was that, uh, as far as his aesthetic, I thought that he was probably the perfect cross between Jesus and general Zod. That. <laughs> Yes, that was exactly my thought. <laughs> did they not steal that directly from the who, who, uh, who did who did the Michelangelo Superman movie? Oh no, no, the Superman movie. Um, was that Paramount or or was that Universal? One of those studios. They had a direct line, mm-hmm. and they have they have yanked that General Zod. They yanked that out of wardrobe for this episode. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely the costume and the hair. Oh yeah. Um. But I thought the face was Jesus. And this is the classical <laughs> Jesus, of course. Not the real Jesus, probably. Catholic Jesus. Yes. Okay. Yes. The the Middle European Jesus. The, yeah. Yes. No, I follow you. Okay. I follow you. All right. Yeah. No, that's spot on. I uh-huh. had the exact same thought as well. well. Let me mark that one off. <laughs> uh, and the other thing that I wanted to point out, uh, I, I don't know who they got to play Becca Valentine after Dr. Seamill shows up. Mm-hmm. Do you? Do you know who that actress I was? I did not recognize that lady. No. I, I didn't either. Because that wasn't Lisa Ryder. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, yeah. Not not in any way that I have ever seen her they, they got a very good doppelganger to yeah. substitute for Lisa Ryder. Mm-hmm. Because there was a total shift and change right. in manner and acting ability. Right. And hey, props to Lisa Ryder for showing that kind of range. Okay. Mm-hmm. Th- that leads to my next point, though. Do they have some kind of undiscovered pheromones that we've never been exposed to before? Because what is with our crew, Dylan and Becca both? It's just they see these people on this planet and they just fall hard. Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think we were going for Earth Girls Are Easy vibe. Okay. You know that movie from the 80s? Yeah. It's just, it, it's just they. It, it, it was the opposite. The aliens right. fell in love with the humans. Okay. I, I think it was a play on that. Oh, I see. Um, it's dark. It's the middle of the night. Yeah, you know. Uh, it it kind of... And, and, you know, the title of the, the episode is Deep Midnight's Voice. So, obviously, that's got to be some late night, uh, midnight movie comedy. Okay. And, and humor. Okay. Which we got a lot of it. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. Can we talk about the uh, military officers? Yeah, sure. These officers are terrible. Are they? Yeah. Did you uh did you notice how Dylan telegraphed that punch <laughs> from the next planet over? <laughs> no. Huh? And the military officers did not see it coming. I didn't see it coming. Okay. I mean, I really? guess you're you're great at this because wow. yeah, me and that military officer both got blindsided. Are you totally. serious? Uh, yeah, I wasn't paying attention during the fight scene. <laughs> okay. I was I was bored with it. I just as far as choreography goes, yeah. this was this was not the best effort. Oh, okay. Not not Rami on wires effort, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was telegraphed pretty badly. Um, you know something else that Dylan did badly? Apparently he can't 
improv when he's undercover. They ask him if he knew if he knew about Belt and you, and he's like, "Never heard of it." D- did you forget that you're trying to be one of them, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The the <laughs> fighting. Yeah. yeah. And and what's your name, Captain? Oh, um, I'm I'm undercover here. Uh, Dylan. Yeah. Dylan yeah. Hunt. Yeah, he would never make it on the street. No. How did he how did he go through this how did he get selected for the special ops uh operation on Mobius all those many years ago? Ah, I don't know. Because Well, he knew somebody. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um he's a little out of practice, I'd say. I think Costanza Stark was trying to get him killed. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Tori calls the Maru quote too remarkable for words, unquote. Isn't she easily impressed? Yeah, I mean, she's not wrong. It is breathtaking. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Well played. Uh, one last thing for me here. As far as the rest of the world is concerned now, Tori invented the flexi. Yeah, the broken flexi. With one corner lopped off. <laughs> Aren't they all like that? Yeah, they're all like that. I'm yeah. wondering why. That's oh, a, yeah. That's a design aesthetic that I don't quite follow. Yeah. You know, give give me a square or a rectangle. Sure. You know, give me all four corners. Don't cut off one side of it. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe there's a missing piece. That's where the charger goes. Ooh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Me neither. I just made it up. Okay. Um, my thought, though, here is that this is a pretty advanced piece of technology. We don't even really understand what it is and how it works, but he tasks her with figure it out because you invented it. Wink, wink. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking maybe give her something not quite so advanced. Like, say, this is a transistor. <laughs> you invented this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe they're past transistors. I don't well, know. They, but... They've got bag phones, so yeah. they've got transistors. Okay. All right. But I'm thinking if, if in 1990, mm-hmm. suddenly we had... Generation 5 iPads. Yeah. What magic mm-hmm. is being accomplished in right. this? I mean, people back then would look at that and say... Sorcery. Yeah. <laughs> Burn that heretic at yeah. the stake. Right. <laughs> um, so, obviously, I, I, we don't know what all features this flimsy has, but it's, you know, paper thin. Mm-hmm. If a paper thin thing came on the market today in our time, 2019, when we're recording this, we would be amazed. I mean, that's the next big thing that we're looking for, isn't right? it? Yeah. Yeah. Or or holographic screens. Yeah. You know, where there's not actually a screen there, well, but yeah, something's they, yeah, projected up. That would be awesome. We're, we're cool. seeing that all over the place in sci-fi right now. Yeah. Yeah. If we saw that in the real world today, we'd be like, oh, we finally made it. Mm-hmm. But if that showed up 30 years ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Demons. Right. Have, <laughs> have provided this, te- this technology. Right. It's witchcraft. Yeah. Build a bridge out of her. <laughs> all right, Ethan. I'm going to have to reel this in. Let's calm down a little bit. It's getting silly. Um, So let's go ahead and talk about a little bit more serious stuff that happened in this episode. Uh, Let's start with some things that maybe we learned uh, about the universe or some of our characters. Do you got anything to start us off with? I do. I was actually really fascinated with this story of the High Guard mission to Jespendover. Did you catch that at all? Mm, No. That was actually something that appealed to me. Uh, a miscommunication led to rioting and chaos until the high guard subjugated the population. Oh, yes. Under the threat of total annihilation. Right. Who are these people? 
And why are our heroes associated with... Why is Dylan... How has he been okay with associating with the High Guard? Yeah. If this is the strong arm methods they use to calm people down. I don't know. I, there was just something about that story. It was just thrown in. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of a little throwaway story because they're going to a planet where potentially a miscommunication could happen. Right. And yeah, this uh, this has happened. There is precedent for this. It's in the history books. And I don't know. The way it was handled was definitely not what I've gotten in other sci-fi mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm used to watching. Right. And I just thought it was interesting. I Did you have an impression on that? Uh, yeah, I did. In kind of the same way. It's your, but, uh, did you say the planet was named? Jespin Dover. Was that the communication error? <laughs> do, do, do you hear what you're saying there? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. All right. I do. And I did not catch that. Just bend over. Um, it's a joke name. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Like wow. Silius Sadius or Claudius, Gladius Maximus. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Props to Matt Keen and Joe Reitmeyer for uh, slipping that one in. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we had that situation. Now we have this situation now. We're trying to avoid first contact. Yes. Um kind of feels like a little bit of a uh, a prime directive kind of a feel going on. They don't come right out and say that, but this is what we're given to understand, well, right? Well, it's obvious that they have some sort of ethics toward first contact situations. Right. So, yeah, something is something's been in place. Yeah. So, this is for the Commonwealth, I'm guessing. Yeah. The Commonwealth which has been non-existent for the last 300 years. But right. instead, you have had the Nietzscheans that have just been running amok across the galaxies. What I wonder now is, I know how this world was protected. It was caught up in this uh, slipstream knot. Yeah. Okay. So tie that one around your brain. Um, But it also, it makes me wonder, what else is going on throughout these galaxies to all of these other inhabited primitive worlds are they being invaded by the Nietzscheans and they're putting them to work? Yeah, I don't think the Nietzscheans have any qualms about just running roughshod over primitive cultures in order to get what they need. Right. Yeah. No, I, th- I think this is... The only reason we're having this discussion about this culture is mm-hmm. because of the slipstream knot that has kept them isolated. Right. Which I thought was an interesting backstory for them. Uh a colony of humans brought there 10,000 years ago by the the Zinti, mm-hmm. but then lost contact. I guess the Zinti forgot how to get back there, mm-hmm. I, you know, what, whatever the, contributed to that. And, and now this culture has developed without any outside influence. Mm-hmm. What I thought was interesting is you had basically kind of the same progression, or, or actually no... Not the same kind of progression, because when they got dropped there, they would have had technology at the very least. And obviously something had happened so that they regressed, Um, because we're talking about a 20th century society equivalent. And so the Perseids met the humans after the humans had already become spacefaring. Yeah. So... How did they? How did this happen? Unless, unless it's the Perseids that are the ones that are abducting humans, 
before we have the technology and then dropping them off. I'm not exactly sure where this falls in the timeline. I mean, 10,000 years, you say. I mean, that's the beginning of the of the Commonwealth. So, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Um, because if it was after they made contact, then, yeah, humans would have more advanced technology than what we have here on this planet. Exactly. Um, so, so I, I guess what they're saying is that since it was 10,000 years in the past, these were primitive humans that were brought. Mm-hmm. So for some re- for some weird reason, the Zinti were seeding planets with mm-hmm. humans in other parts of the galaxy. Some of those colonies they kept kept in touch with. Yeah, that's why you have other human colonies throughout the the galaxies, I guess. Mm-hmm. But this is the odd one that regressed as far as Earth did, right. obviously. So kind of interesting. Uh, I, I would be curious in a, in a a different storytelling to know what it was that cause these humans to not advance as far. All right, so matter pulsers were used in order to destroy the Nietzschean ship in the system. Mm-hmm. Why isn't this a tactic that's used more frequently? I mean, it seemed pretty effective, didn't it? Yeah, I think you got to be close enough to a star and... Really, really, really lucky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that coronal mass ejection has to be just at the right... Trajectory, probably some math involved. Yeah, what you would need. Well, would... okay, but he Dylan just says Rami fire them. Yeah, Dilly, d- Dilly, <laughs> Dylan and Rami. Uh-huh. Rami does the calculations mm-hmm. right on the fly. Well, it only took her seven hours to find Deep Midnight's voice. Mm-hmm. So obviously, these calculations she can do just like that. Right, and it's done. Mm-hmm. It feels like though this should be a tactic that they could put in their back pocket and bring that out in a future engagement well i mean apparently it was in his back pocket this was the you time know, for him to bring exactly it out. so <laughs> see the thing is the circumstances have to be right we need to you use this when you one need to take out an enemy ship in close proximity to a star and you also need to take out all of a planet's surveillance systems yeah yeah, because that was the happy byproduct. Right. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I have a question about if this is a Commonwealth thing or if this is a High Guard thing or if this is just a Dylan thing. Um, they're talking about when they're going down to the planet and they're all getting their fake IDs and their emulators, their universal translators, let's just say it, um, which I want to talk about that later. Put a pin it. Put a pin it. Put a pin it. Put a pin in that. Um, Dylan is stressing the importance to not blow their cover. And he even says, if you blow your cover, you might get left behind. Um, time out. Time out. I have a question here. If they blow their cover, then you just leave them there. Doesn't that make it worse? Yes. Okay. All right. See, because what I'm thinking is you should probably get them out of there and come up with some sort of sort of cover story. Yes. Right? That would be logical thinking. Right. Yeah. Because wouldn't you just love to see Gaten left behind? Do you think he's just going to be all hush-hush about it and be like, oh, I just, I came from the continent on the northern hemisphere. No, no, no you leave I'm... him behind. He owns the planet inside of six months. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. Okay. All right. So maybe just empty threat? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm thinking so. Right. Okay. Of course, we did have two aliens left behind for 300 years on this planet, and nobody found them. So yeah, seems weird, doesn't it? It it does. Dude, I want to talk about that just a little bit. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, this race, this race of humans has been on this planet for 10,000 years, is what we're told. Mm-hmm. They haven't explored their planet yet? I mean, honestly, that's... That's just human nature mm-hmm. to go out and map all the things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Trapes over every square inch is, yeah. is what we do and, and or pro- procreate to the point where we inhabit mm-hmm. all of the land mm-hmm. so that there are you know, something like two dead Nietzscheans can't just, could not on Earth lay there for 300 years undiscovered. No, just right there, skeletal remains in their space plane. All out in the open. They're going to get found at the very least wouldn't satellites <laughs> pick up mm-hmm. something of a signature or a glint of light yeah something to that effect yeah no definitely i'm with you there because especially since they as a society already have this mythology about these aliens yes yes so whether they totally believe it or not you know there are certain groups of them that are all in on this yeah they're going to be Using every resource that they can get their hands on and just scouring this planet up and down. If there's rumors about this, these rumors had to have come from somewhere. Somebody at some point knew a hint of something. Where did that come from? So track that down and go find it. Yeah. I mean, we have that today uh, here on the planet Earth in our real time in the real universe <laughs> right um the whole there's the the ancient aliens um all that idea and there's there are people that go to great lengths they're dedicated to search to. this stuff out yeah and they're they're digging up any piece of evidence that they can find to try to support this um and if these are supposed to be humans like us then they're out there doing the same thing the only thing that i can think of is counter that explains why they haven't spread out over the whole planet and why they're not more curious about what's around them and advancing in technology and space travel and things like that. The only thing that comes to my mind is they do indicate that this is an Eden-like planet. And if we've learned anything from, I'm going to break it here, All right. original series Star Trek, mm-hmm. is... When you put mankind in an Eden Park-like setting, they they lose all will to advance. That's on Star Trek. <laughs> I'm grasping here. I know. No, it's okay. I, but see, the thing is, it where these scientists in our episode where they were stationed, they were within walking distance of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody has come across this at some point. Um, there you go. See, we, we see what the mentality is of this other group of people, the government. The government. So there it is. People have come across this. And then they've quietly disappeared. Yeah. Okay. No, that's excellent. Because then all of a sudden, the feeling that I had when they're walking through the woods of this being kind of like an X-Files vibe 
Uh, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. The government makes sure that uh, those people disappear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know what? This is a perfect segue for one of my points then that I wanted to bring up. What happens to Tori now? Because here's what Dylan does. He hands her this advanced piece of technology and says, you invented this. Go make your world great. The problem is there are people in the government that that know that she is involved in this. How does she get out of this alive? Uh, or not completely discredited if if not if not disappeared? May I say then uh reference or see last week's episode where Dylan created a whole race of humans mm-hmm. and then didn't go visit them and sailed off into the sunset. Yeah. Okay. I think we have the same thing happening here. Okay. He's like, Oh, here's a thing I can do. Go make your world great. Okay. Then, and and then and then I'm going to quietly go back to my ship and never come back here again. So we don't know what happens to her. Okay. So then what Dylan has done here is that before this episode is because last week what we had was after that episode was over, he completely forgot about what had happened the week before, right? Yeah, yes. Because even at the end of that episode, he's still looking down at that planet and saying, wow, what a great miracle. Mm-hmm. Onward, let's go. Yeah. Okay? But he still knows. Now, I think he's probably forgotten by now. Now, here's where it's different in this episode is we don't even get to the end of the episode, and he's already forgotten that he has completely doomed this poor girl. <laughs> Yeah. He should have taken her with him. He should have. That's the only way she gets out of this alive. Yeah. Or not committed to an an asylum. Yeah. Because I'm sure that they still call them asylums on this planet because that would be that time period. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. That's me backing away from a term that we no longer use. So anyway, what does he expect is going to happen now? He doesn't have to think about it. Yeah, he doesn't, and he doesn't think and he, about and it. And he does not. Right. That is, that is correct. That is the answer. Uh, let's talk about Tyr. All right. Plot thickens, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, he's put feelers out to the Drago Kassov mm-hmm. for something. Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes mm-hmm. to that something. Mm-hmm. To what? I mean, are are we ready to speculate yet, or are we still waiting for more answers to come to us? Um, I think he wants to know if they would like to invest in a startup. <laughs> of ruling the galaxy? Oh, it could be something like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So, yeah, we have that whole thing happening. I, um, I really enjoyed the interplay between him and Gaten. Mm-hmm. As annoying and arrogant as Gaten was, he was a good character opposite Tyr. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had some moments together where the the, the actor, and I, Hayden, not Hayden Christensen, uh, <laughs> Christopher, hey, hey, whatever, I, I forget what it was now. I don't mm-hmm. have it up on screen in front of me now. Um, th- this actor was over the top at times, but good, very good at other times as well. I actually liked this character, even though he was a foil. Uh, a villain, then a foil, then I kind of felt sorry for him that Tyr took him out there at the end. But he put two and two together, understood what Tyr's motivation was now, 
and was trying to inject himself in there and make himself a a, a, a minion mm-hmm. of Tyr. To, 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 or maybe not minion is not the right word, but he was he was hitching his wagon to that particular star, wasn't he? Yeah, for so long as it worked to his advantage. You don't feel like he actually was kind of having a, I can't believe I'm going to say this, come to Jesus moment? <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I, I I don't know. I wouldn't have trusted him. I totally understand why Tyr didn't trust him. I wouldn't have trusted him either. Um, I think he would have used this for as long as till it suits his agenda. And then once it takes him as far as it can take him, then he's going to be the one turning that gun on Tyr. Okay. I mean, if... If he he now is speculating that that Tamerlane is somewhere out there, he believes that Tyr knows where he is, and he believes that he can use Tyr to get to him, and so now he's going to have the Deep Midnight voice, and he's going to have Tamerlane. So what does he need Tyr for? I I did not feel like he was going to go that far. I thought that I felt like his expressions of I have seen the light. I have seen the waywardness of our people. I I understand the rot that has consumed us for so long. And now I am ready to step back from that. Yeah. I see the possibility of a better path forward for our people. Yeah. I did not. I don't know. Maybe I guess I'm just a little bit naive about the, the no. Nietzscheans. No, I maybe about the Nietzscheans, but I'm. I'm not saying that he was being deceptive in any of this that he was saying. In fact, I would go so so far as to say that maybe he was completely sincere in all of these things that he was saying. But once that train has reached its final station, then does he have any use for Tyr? And then what does he do when he doesn't have any use for Tyr anymore? Right, right. But and that's the that's the problem with the Nietzschean mentality here, as it's presented for us, is that, yeah, they're going to band together for as long as it suits them. So is there no hope for the Nietzscheans to actually come together as a race and say, we are the dominant race, we will subjugate all others, and we will we will answer to... A one leader, a a a, a reincarnation of Drago Museveni, and therefore we will stop this infighting and backstabbing. Mm-hmm. Is is that just not something they're ever going to arrive at? No, I think I think that's the belief, and that's what they are all looking to. And you know, apparently they're they're the rumors that are going around about somewhere. That this this child has been born, yeah, somewhere. Um, I, I do. I wonder to what extent, you know, how far reaching is that is that knowledge, or how how far has that rumor spread? Is this something that he is privy to because he's in a lot of um, underhandedness and espionage and stuff like that? So maybe these are this is info that he has that it's it's not known. By the general, the general Nietzsche and public. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that is what we are given from the very beginning of this series, pretty much, is that the Nietzscheans are all looking for this to rally behind. Mm-hmm. 
Tyr, I think, takes it a little bit more personally because it's his. So he doesn't want somebody else tagging along with that. Yeah. And and, and I'd like to ask you another question about that. In okay. that particular scene where Tyr fires the shot. Mm-hmm. Tears crying. Oh yeah, there's a is is tear's this got a tear? Does he? Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Does he? Does he feel genuine regret at having to take this particular Nietzschean's life? I that's how I took it. I think it it could be that. It could also be just the gravity of knowing his responsibility and knowing that all these other leeches are going to be coming after him. With this story of alliance and and wanting to join up and 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 rule the galaxies together, you know, as brothers. I also didn't wonder if he was having if he was tearing up because he knows that they know his son is out there, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that scares him somehow. Oh yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah, I mean they're trying to keep the whole thing secret, and I mean that's one of the things that has kind of thrown me a little bit from the from from all this anyway as soon as Tamerlane was born um you know it it would seem like that would be a cause for spreading that word to all of the Nietzschean prides and say hey this child has been born we have the DNA results um but instead Tyr has hidden the child he is hiding the bones, which is the only thing that you can truly test against. Because um, that's the thing, too, is that the the records that they have that they tested Tamerlane's DNA against, if you remember, they said, yeah, it's a match, but we can't say 100% because we don't have the bones. Tyr is in control of all of that. Yeah. He's got it all. And he's keeping them hidden away and not letting any of it see the light of day. Right. So uh, what's his reason for that? I mean, if he really wants to put this out there and and get and join all of the prides together, unify the Nietzscheans, and that's what he says he wants. Yeah. Basically what it comes down to is Tyr has his own plan in place, mm-hmm. and he's working toward a some sort of goal. He's obviously reached out to the Drago Kasov. They have said yes, but he is still reluctant to embrace the Drago Kasov, at least this one particular member uh, that's there with him. I feel like Tyr doesn't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He can't trust no. Dylan. He can't trust the Drago Kasov. He can't trust any of the other prides that are out there because they're you know it's, yeah he's stuck. Well, he's really stuck. But how can he trust Gaten? Because so far, everything that he said has been a mask. Yeah. Right? I mean, he, he even himself says it. Yeah. That he he was faking being one of these independents, and then but he was actually a spy for the Drago Cats off. And then he says, okay, I'm not actually a spy for the Drassic Drago I was, but not anymore. Yeah. Now I'm joining up with you. Yeah. Okay, so it's just... He changes his story but, but every single does, turn of this plot. He does seem like a, a Nietzschean that's having an aha moment and is, is coming to the light and is seeing things in a different way. Why do you kill him on the Maru? Take him back to Andromeda, throw him in the brig, and see what happens in another month or two. If, if he's spitting hate and vitriol at you, okay, yeah. 
send him out the airlock. Mm-hmm. But if he really is a changed person, wait and see what if there's further evidence of that. Yeah, no, Nietzscheans don't have time for that. Okay. No, it's just okay. all betrayal and treachery. Yeah, bone blades in the back. Yep. Or the front, like we got. Right. That one of those militia guys got. Oh, did they? Yeah. I missed that because I did keep you thinking. Miss that? I did, yeah. Because I keep thinking, you know, he spent all oh, that yeah, time right. sharpening those things. You weren't paying attention to the fight scenes. No, I wasn't. <laughs> but he spends all those time, all that time sharpening those things. I just feel like a, there are so many times when we watch the Nietzscheans fight. I think they really underutilized those bone blades. Oh, they used them this time. Okay. Or, or Gaten used his. Yeah. Oh, we'll put it that way. All right. Let's talk a little bit about um, mapping the slipstream. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what? No? You're not interested? Yeah, maps. Who needs yeah, them? Yeah, I know. Just <laughs> just go. Just how'd, go. How'd that work out for you? Oh, uh, yeah. We, we, we are, you already know. Yeah. Um, so I guess, first of all, I want to, I want to get a little bit of clarification here. Nobody has ever heard of this fleet of slip scouts that the Nietzscheans have. And why would they? Because this was before the fall. Right. Except that Rami has a schematic of one pulled up on screen when they're talking about this mythical deep midnight's voice. And, and... Let's see, is anyone that's on this ship now, were any of them around before the fall? They were. Oh, yeah, there was Dylan. Yeah. Okay. And Rami. Yeah, yeah. So that's their reasoning, though, is that no one here would have known about this because it was before the fall. Yeah. I mean, we have people and <laughs> and a ship that was there yeah. before the fall. Hopefully they've shared their database with the now new high guard, right? Yeah. The new, the new systems Commonwealth. Right. But it's probably deep in the files. They never got to yeah, that. Somebody just never got to that. But I do want to know. <laughs> but, wh- the, but then there's also that drift with all of the schematics and stuff from. Oh yeah. From where the, the, they, the, the kids. Uh, yeah. That yeah. episode. Uh huh. It was like episode so, three. As you say, so shall you. Oh, no, I'm nope, still, I'm nope, getting that's it. that's a different right. one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cut that out. Um, well, I mean, for Dylan, okay. You know, maybe that's something that he hasn't heard about. But Rami, Rami mm-hmm. at the very least would say, hey, I've got a file in my database. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've heard about this before. Yeah. Why wouldn't she bring it up to Dylan saying, hey... This could be a, a lever for, for power. <laughs> yeah. Well, did she have it in her database already, or was this something that Gaten provided once he was captured? Okay, that's a point. That That's a possibility. Okay. Maybe he had a thumb drive, and yeah. that information was there. Okay. Okay. I, I, all right. Yeah, I'll accept I that. don't know. I'm not saying that's what it is. Now, the actual mapping of the slipstream itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go back to Slipstream 101. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Would you rather talk about AI going bad? <laughs> no, this is fine. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's going to be one of them. So let's just go. Yeah. Um, all right. You get into Slipstream, and then you've got to have an organic brain in order to... Into, to, to find the different slip points. You have to use your intuition... Right to do that. That's why a machine can't do it because a machine doesn't have intuition. Um, we know some statistics now. Um, uh, a machine is going to be about fifty percent. Yeah. 
which is higher than I thought. I thought they were just they couldn't do they it couldn't at all. They couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, who was it? Uh, Andromeda's sister ship. Remember way back then. Um, got lost in the slipstream. Yeah. And just wandered around for like three hundred years. Yeah. Well, Rami wandered around after the 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 Magog attack. That's what it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just wandered around. I'm like, okay, if she had a fifty fifty shot of getting back to somewhere in the Commonwealth. Yeah. And obviously she did. It just seems like fifty fifty shot you would get there a lot faster. Yeah. Doesn't it, it uh, yeah, no, I, I okay. see what you're saying. I agree. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um But if you Okay, that's this is the whole problem for me with slipstream is because this is not the first time that we have seen some sort of a diagram. Uh, do you remember the episode where Becca was trying to find Tarnvedra? Yeah, yeah, Tarnvedra, and she had like a, a list of slip points. Yeah, okay, or you could say a map of sorts. Yeah, at least directions. Yeah, okay, but she was still. There was a lot of intuition getting her to those points. Yeah, right. I, I'm just saying, you said before, we're either going to have an AI discussion or this. Mm-hmm. They're one and the same, really. Because isn't the person that maps slip space opening up navigating slip space to AI? Yeah. And now AI can take over the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, ultimately, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? You can turn on an AI autopilot and go anywhere in the universe. And then that AI can kill you and then take that ship anywhere it wants to go and destroy everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we haven't thought that far ahead yet. Have we not? Okay, I, I don't sorry. think so. Am I jumping? No, I'm I jumping didn't. Yeah, your, your slip points are all over the place. Okay. Um, now, but it, to, to me, being able to map the slipstream... It makes more sense than not being able to map it, to me. Even though we understand Slipstream for what it is as just all of these points that you just somehow just guess your way to a place, that, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I can't... I mean, it's like we, we, we... Oh, we opened up with the joke. It's like you trying to guess your way to Florida. Yeah. Or just feel your way to Florida. Yeah. You know, um, I've done sort of in the way, like, I remember when my wife and I first got married, we took a trip out east to New York. It's about a 22-hour drive. I didn't... Oh, 132. Yeah. 132 hours out to New York, yeah. Yeah. No, well, not the way I went. <laughs> okay. Um, but basically what I did was I just, I didn't really use a map, but I guess I'm comparing this to slip points. I looked for major cities that I knew I was going to go through to get to New York City. Right. And so I said, okay, I need to get to, first I need to get to St. Louis. So I looked for the sign that said this way to St. Louis. I went that way. Got to St. Louis. I said, okay, now I need to go to Indianapolis. Look for the sign, take me to Indianapolis. I just took that, went like that, all the way to New York City. Until eventually I saw signs that said this way to New York City. So I'm just kind of feeling my way, but I'm also using signs, you know? Yeah. There's something that's telling me that I need to go that way. So while I'm not really using a map, I'm still following directions. Mm-hmm. You, 
I can't just guess my way to New York City anyway. You can't you can't guess your way to Florida. Yeah, no. Th- this is why I don't want to have this conversation. Because for me, navigating slipstream doesn't work. It, this has been a plot point that since since we finished our probably our last serious discussion about it at the end of season one, we've not really talked about it. Because slipstream is just a way to advance the plot. Well, and that's what we've got here. And if you look at it too closely, if you pull at the strings, the whole thing unravels really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't work. It just doesn't. Well, we haven't really had any slipstream heavy plots no slipstream has always been a part of it but we just always use it for what it's always been and you're right we haven't discussed it because there hasn't been anything new about it Uh, and and i don't think it's worth discussing i i mean they're they're Uh, totally throwing a whole new thing in here though now they're saying that yes you can completely right right because the idea was you cannot you cannot match slipstream right and i buy this Right, okay. I don't... I I have a hard time with Slipstream the way we have always understood it for these past two and a half seasons. Right. Because because it limits AI in this universe. mm -hmm. The only thing I see coming coming out of this is if you have a map of Slipstream, now you have the ability for AI to read that map and go anywhere it wants and roll over organic life. And ultimately, that's what we want, right? Um, Sure. Okay. I don't. I don't mean to shut you down on it. You're yucking my yum. Am I yucking your yum? I'm sorry, but it's just okay. This is something else that maybe we remember later on. Maybe we don't. Okay. Okay. Here's something I think we can agree on, though. It's time to read a quote. Yes. Okay. Finally, common ground. Here we go. The universe is perfect. You cannot improve it. If you try to change it, you will ruin it. If you try to hold it, you will lose it. That's from the notes from Odo Chan, Commonwealth Year 9101. All right. Uh, I'm going to throw that to you first. Okay. Okay. Um, Tyr says, we can reshape the universe again Mm -hmm. if we will it. That's a a quote that he tells Gaten when they find the, uh, the map there. This, I guess, answers my question about what we were discussing earlier. It, this is the fault of the Nietzscheans, isn't it? They feel like they can do anything they want. They can reshape the universe however they will it. If the quote that we have that you just read is correct, they can't. They they are forever beating their head against the wall because they're trying to reshape the universe to their will, but you can't do that. The universe is already perfect. The universe is already what it's going to be. They need to find a way to live within it instead of trying to dominate it. And that's going to be either the the, the undoing or the the downfall of the Nietzscheans as a race, as a culture. Uh, That's kind of what stood out to me with this quote. Is that the downfall of the Nietzscheans or the downfall of the universe? The downfall of the Nietzscheans. Another thing that I thought was interesting is Becca says maybe it's the universe that needs to be reprogrammed mm-hmm. because it's unfair, right? You know, we 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 at times, and that, that's kind of a lesson that I 
kind of pulled out of that when she said that is, you know, we we so often view the world around us as being unfair. Mm-hmm. Well, the world is what it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's what we say. It, things are what they are. Mm-hmm. Maybe the world needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a lot of voices out there in the world right now that say, yeah, it needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe there's some truth to that. But it it's not happening. So it's a lot easier to figure out your niche. <laughs> and that's, I guess, the, guess the point that I'm trying to say without making a pun out of it mm-hmm. is that's what the Nietzscheans need to do is they need to find their niche uh-huh. <laughs> in the universe and then live within it, mm-hmm. you know, because that's pretty much what we have to do right now, too. Yeah. Uh, I I recall, man, I think it may have been season one when when Tyr accuses Dylan of trying to mold the universe to the way he wants it to be. Yes. And I remember that. And I think that was also actually I think that was his response to Dylan because Dylan accused him of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so Dylan said he asks him, then why are you with me? And his answer was, well, because for right now our idea for what the shape of the universe needs to be is very similar. And so then Dylan asked him what happens when that's not the case anymore. That'll be a very interesting day. Yeah. <laughs> and that day, it feels like it's coming. Yeah. It, it does. Um, it feels like they're getting more and more at odds here. Um, as far as the quote, you know, the universe is, is perfect. You can't improve it. You can't change it. Um, so you took the words out of my mouth. It's, it's a very common expression today. I hear it way too much. It is what it is. Right. So if that's the case, it is what it is and there's nothing you can do. Then why do we even try? <laughs> right. Why do we try to do anything? Why is Dylan from the beginning of this series? Why is he trying to 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 reform the Commonwealth? Why is Tyr trying to do whatever it is he's trying to do? We still don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But why is he trying to do that? Why are the Nietzscheans trying to do what they're trying to do if you can't change it? But you look at that quote again, it says, you can't improve it. And then it says, if you try to change it, you will ruin it. Yeah. So that's not saying that you can't change it. You can change it, but if you do change it, you're going to ruin it. Yeah. Um, who is it that's trying to change it then? Is Dylan trying to change it or are the Nietzscheans trying to change it and Dylan's just trying to protect it? Yeah, uh, I think that's where, yeah, yeah, I think you've touched on it. Is where Dylan is, he's he's trying to put back the thing that fell apart, mm-hmm. right? You know, that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. And he's trying to stop the Magog. Mm-hmm. Those. The <laughs> we we heard about them. Oh, okay. we revisited them. All right, yeah, yeah. You you know what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. So I mean, he's seeing things in the universe that he can address, mm-hmm. and then he's he's pushing in those areas. What Tyr feels like he's doing is changing the nature of the Nietzscheans' place in the universe and how they're structured and how they function. He's he's going to exert his will mm-hmm. on the Nietzschean culture, on the Nietzschean people, and fundamentally alter how the universe exists. Mm-hmm. 
it feels like uh, he, he's pulling on a pretty big lever there. Yeah. Maybe a little bit too much for him to handle. Okay. So there was a time when, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of years ago. There was a time when Tarn Vedra had not ventured out into space and had not formed what ultimately becomes the system's commonwealth. Right. So at that time, the universe existed in one form. And then Tarn Vedra, the Vedrans come along and they change that. Did they change it or did they just start utilizing a different part of the universe that nobody else was? They started traveling slipstream. That gave them a power that allowed them to reshape the universe. Yeah. It, it wasn't forcing it. It's just it was just a natural progression. Okay. All right. So you could almost say the universe allowed the Tarn veterans. Okay. To begin influencing. Okay. And so then the universe allowed Dylan to reform it. The Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Why not? All right. I mean, we're almost bestowing a, an, an intelligence to the universe. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, do we need to put a pin in that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's what this. That's what the quote kind of. Is indicating, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, the universe is perfect. Um, I, I think I think we could almost leave that discussion right there. All right. And put a pin in it, and all right. maybe we come back to that. All right. Um, but I will say, how refreshing is it to have a quote that we can actually have a little bit of discussion Yeah, over? a little bit deep. Mm-hmm. That was good. Okay. That was good. All right. Okay, Ethan. So, here we are now. We are at the part where we take all the things that we have discussed already... And we try to wrap it all up, put it in a little box, put a bow all around it, tie it up, put a card on there, and then mail it off to Abu Dhabi. How do we feel about this episode ultimately? You all right? You need a minute over there? I'm still wondering about Abu Dhabi. <laughs> I mean, what's, what's going, up? What's didn't you going watch, on there? Didn't you watch Garfield? Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It was packed up normal and sent him off to Abu Dhabi. Deep cut. Yeah. That was nice. Okay. Yeah. Was there a question there? <laughs> yes. How did you feel about oh, this episode? Yeah, okay. You know what? Um, Lisa Ryder. Let's just talk about that. All right. Let's get that out of the way right off the bat. Okay. Bad, bad, bad acting. I I really disliked. And I don't know if that was her decision as the actress to do that. I don't. Maybe that was the director. Um, but whatever contributed to that decision... Just no, let's let's not do that again. Uh, we turned her into a twelve-year-old schoolgirl, and it was gross, and I didn't like it at all. Um, but besides that decision, everything else about this episode was either okay or interesting and good. Uh, some of the plot points were basically written on tissue paper, so don't push it that too close. Otherwise, it pokes right through <laughs> and you got holes. Um, but for the most part, it it, it does work. Yeah, there are some questions that maybe you ask, but if you just take it for what it is, which is what we're supposed to do, honestly. Because um, it is what it is. It is what it is. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, there you go. And so it works. It works. And we got something interesting. Now Dylan has this map of Slipstream. Uh, Tyr has uh, a much, uh, a, a far more interesting road uh, to travel 
than what he's had in the previous couple of seasons. You know, it, it's they're building some things here. There's some real plot points that are kind of coming together, and as we're getting close to the end of the season, it feels like we're going to get some resolution out of at least the the tier plot line. And, you know, I don't know if this map is going to figure into the story later on or not, but it seems like a pretty big deal. And so, yeah, this was a decent episode. There are some places where it misses, but... um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Okay. I, I will say this. Kevin Sorbo. And I haven't said anything about Kevin Sorbo as in, as far as his acting, at least not any time recently. But in this episode, I think there are times when he's actually pretty good. He He acts as if he has the weight of the universe and the fate of this innocent planet on his shoulders. And he carries it. Uh, I thought there were times where when he's explaining himself... And when he's uh, talking with Tori or with uh, Tyr, you could sense that as an actor, he was he was he was carrying that role pretty well. And uh, I just wanted to to call that out. And then Gaten, that was a really interesting character, too. So, you know, the action was eh, whatever. Uh, The CG work was uh, a little sketchy at times, as my son put it when he was watching it with me. But uh as far as plot and as far as character goes, uh, we got a lot here and, and I appreciate the episode for that. You know, I appreciate your thoughts on that. And I'm going to say that maybe I might still be a little bit hungover from the vault of the heavens, our last episode that we covered, um, which was just a total dumpster fire in what has been a pretty weak season three to this point. Um, and now we have an episode here where uh, stuff's starting to get a little bit heavy. And I think the gravity of of Tears situation and what's going on with him, what he has been up to since Music of a Distant Drum in Season 1, um, it's coming back into play. And so you know that I like when when this when the series remembers itself and remembers what it's about and so we're getting more of that we've had some hints of that and i feel like we're getting more and more into what some of these heavy plot points are supposed to be um as far as lisa Ryder, um i will say definitely i did not like that um i don't know necessarily that i would fault lisa Ryder. As far as it not being a good acting job, um, in fact, it may be just the opposite. That maybe I think something weird is going on on this planet. I think that the like, I, I joked about it earlier, but I really believe there's something going on here because both Dylan and Becca just lose their minds over these people that they meet. And was it spores? Yeah, had to have been spores. Spores, okay. Yep. I like that. I like right. that as an, ex- as an explanation. Yeah, I mean, and it does make Becca act like a total idiot. And if it had just been Becca, then I would say foul. Something, no, that's not right. Um, Dylan, 
I mean, he doesn't act like an he idiot. He still keeps his head on his shoulders. Yeah, it, but but he he does the same thing though. Not in the yeah. same way, okay? Yeah, yeah. I know, I'm, I know, I know. You don't have to say it. I'm with you there. Um, but I mean, he also he falls hard, and you, you got to remember, Dylan just got out of a very serious relationship. He just mated with a non-corporeal being and became father to an entire world of new humanoid beings. You know. And then he goes to this other planet and just jumps right into this. And um, I do, I, I did have the question at the end of this. I wonder if Tori had actually been Tony, let's say a middle-aged bald guy, then does he give him the flexi at the end and say, hey, go better yourself in your world with this? I don't think so. I think this is... This is something else going on entirely here. So pheromones. I'm gonna I'm gonna say pheromones, and to me that covers up the whole Dylan Becca bad behavior thing. Okay. Okay. All right. Or spores. Pheromones or spores. spores. Yeah. Something's going on with them down there. Yeah. And um, you know, the other two they didn't fall for this because they were just around each other. Yeah. They didn't have they didn't really have any contact with any of the natives. Right, right. All right. So, spores, pheromones, problem solved. Um and that's really about one of the only big problems that I had with this episode. Um Gaten, I didn't like him. I didn't like him from the very first time I saw him and I was happy when he died. Well, that but, doesn't but, mean that I didn't like him uh, for okay. what he did in okay. the episode. Okay, so you can you can not like a character, but still like what they contributed to the story. I again, this was one of the holes. I didn't understand why he was there at all, but he was and he needed to be there later so that we could have this whole thickening of the plot with tear. Um, so, you know, overall, I got to say. huh finally not a terrible episode um in fact yeah. i would say a pretty decent episode and we and as to your point earlier that you made we haven't had too many of these in this season mm -hmm. and and you're right i yeah this was a good one mm -hmm. all right good well, enough that'll do pig all right well ethan i have one last question for you Okay, so if somebody out there in podcast universe wanted to get a hold of us and let us know how they feel about this episode, one we've done in the past, um, if they want to tell us how they feel about us personally, how might they get a hold of us? Well, they would first need a map. Yeah. That would give them an IP address mm -hmm. that with DNS yeah. convert that into Drive Back the Night podcast at gmail.com we are also on social medias we are on the facebook and the twitter using the handle at and at andromeda pod for both of those sites we are on podbean that's our home andromeda series.podbean.com uh, we do have a tip jar there on the side column of that uh, page so if you should feel so inclined uh, you're welcome to do that if you like if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us some stars, even a review. We'd certainly appreciate it. 
Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson, who once again lent us his voice for the opening quote of this episode. We are an Age of Geek podcast, and uh, we invite you to step on over there to ageofgeek.podbean.com and check out some new episodes that we've got going on over there. And we invite you to join us back here again next time as we discuss the episode The Illusion of Majesty. Editing! <laughs>